right, welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Sunday Wire. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're streaming out live on the Alternate Current Radio Network and also at 21stCenturyWire.com. And also, I want to announce that uh, this week uh, we've brought our one of our a new show live on terrestrial radio, AM radio, uh, in the United States in Southwest U.S. Uh, it's one of the biggest independent talk uh, talk networks uh, in the country. Uh, and this is in the Phoenix, greater Phoenix and southern Arizona area, but it's also available online, uh, independent talk, 1100 KFNX. Uh, there's, it's right up there at 21wire.tv right now, uh, so you can check that out later. So uh, we, we take live callers as well, and uh, it's a real radio uh, thing on the ground in the AM band, so uh, it's weird. Uh, some people called me and said they were driving, they heard me on the radio in their car, which is bizarre. Um, the only thing is I can't hear myself on the radio <laughs> unless it's a replay. Um, so anyway, um, but it's, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely uh, exciting as well. It's it's new. Uh, so it's a new format. Uh, it's much more regimented than, than this show. It's shorter and there's a lot more commercials, uh, but it's fun. And we get to crack on some of the issues as well uh, in a different way uh, than we do on this show. And so that's something to look forward to. We'll be doing that uh, for the in the coming months as well. This is every Wednesday on KFNX 1100. Uh, but we will also have that show available to everybody um, afterwards um, on uh, 21wire.tv. And uh, so thanks very much to everybody, including KFNX, for the opportunity. Uh, now, our next guest, uh, he's a writer and he's also co-editor of News Junkie Post. Uh, his colleague has been on this show uh, before, uh, twice. Uh, you'll be familiar with Daddy Cherry, who's been uh, on the Sunday Wire. A great interviewer, great journalist, uh, great personality as well. And this, her colleague, uh, Gilbert Mercier, and he's also author uh, of a recent book. I think it's Orwellian Empire. And there's a link to News Junkie Post on our show page right now. Great source of information. Now, we, we republished an article that Gilbert had written uh, about George Soros, and it was called The Purple Revolution and George Soros. And it is fascinating because we've been following color revolutions all over the world uh, for the last few years, and we know this billionaire likes to dump money uh, into soft targets and weaken these countries, um, preparing them for regime change and for whole market changes. This is what... George Soros has been doing for kicks uh, with his billions of dollars that he's made uh, on the backs of uh, many other people sometimes suffering. Uh, and so we're going to look into that. And we welcome Gilbert Mercier, or if you're American, Gilbert Mercier. Uh, but oh, please, French. please, no. <laughs> no. But uh, well, welcome. Yes. Welcome Thank you to- for having me, Patrick. It's, 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 it's very nice to be on the show. Yeah, yeah, Gilbert, and and so just just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, who is George Soros in your mind, and, and George he's, Soros. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. George Soros is a very is quite a fascinating character. He was born in uh, 1930 in Hungary, and his uh, his name uh, his birth name was not uh, Soros; it was Schwartz. And his father, a quite wealthy lawyer, uh, uh, changed his name uh, in, uh, I think it was in 1933. So George was three years old at the rise of, of course, the, the pesky neighbor, Adolf Hitler. Now, this, this childhood experience, now also, you know, Soros, his father was into Esperanto, which was supposed to be at the time, would become a universal language. And that might be one of the reasons, psychologically, that uh, uh, Mr. Soros is so much into the notion of globalization. Uh, At least that's what I think in terms of of psychological makeup. Now, a a very, very um, interesting and sort of creepy uh, uh, experience at, at an early age, at the age of 14, when the uh, the fascist government only uh, pro german started shipping the, the the Jewish population to the camp, uh, uh, George uh, became sort of the 
the adopted by a Christian godfather, and he used to actually help him out to seize property of Jewish people. So that that is uh, sort of the uh, the the uh, sort of life-forming experience, if you wish, of George Soros. Now he was on the, on an interview in 60 Minutes, and that that clip has been circulating thanks to our friend from the Duran, notably, uh, and it's it's absolutely chilling. He had absolutely no remorse whatsoever in doing what he did. Now cut to about three years later. Oh, but for uh, when, Gilbert, Gilbert, let me interrupt you. Um, let me play that clip right now, um, so people can hear what you're talking about. This is this is a uh, an unearthed old sixty minutes clip. It's probably about twenty years old, right? Uh, yes, which, yes, about uh, 20, 22 years old, I believe. Yes. Okay, we'll roll this. This is the George Soros talking about what you just uh, explained there, Gilbert, about his his, his childhood there, um, confiscating Jewish property, and these I. Presumably, Gilbert, this is the Nazis would confiscate the property before they shipped them off to the camps. In some cases, right? No, no. Actually, afterwards, afterwards, you know, afterwards. they would be shipped to the camp. Then, 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 properties and assets would be seized. Uh, uh, mainly, well, he, he wasn't the only one, but uh, 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 George Godfather was one of the one of the primary uh, uh, person seizing the asset, property, jewelry, whatever, and selling them. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, to, to make to make a very, very long story short, in, in 1947, when, when the, the oh, Hungary okay. became a communist country, now what people have absolutely not a, a notion of, that Soros is not at all a left, in a, in a sense of being a Marxist, as a matter of fact, he's a, not only a staunch anti-communist and always been, but also a staunch anti-Russian. Two aspects of Soros. So at 17, he left his country to move to England to study economics and, uh, and philosophy as well. And he had to, uh, well, life was not that easy, he struggled, he supported himself by doing odd job and selling stuff here and there. But it's, uh, it eventually took, took him, because he's a, he's a very, very bright guy, very shrewd guy. It, it eventually decided to move to the U.S., and that's when he started uh, uh, working as a, uh, uh, in the stock market as a trader, and, and very quickly, because of his uh, extreme savvy, he started an hedge fund company and became extremely wealthy. Now, let's cut to many years later, uh, which is uh, precisely in terms of the timeline, 1979. George Soros decided that money he had Plenty of money. Right now, he ranks in the top 50 of the Fortune 500, out, out to determine uh, the top 500 richest people in the world. Uh, he, well, number was thrown a few years ago, 46. It's probably higher than that now. Anyway, in 1979, to be precise, he decided to diversify his portfolio, financial portfolio, that is, into a press and media portfolio, because what ultimately interests George Soros, which I call in the, in the piece that you, that you were referring to, uh, uh, the Minister of Truth of, uh, of this Orwellian construct that he, he sort of helped define. Uh, what, what he really wants is power, power like in a, in a very sort of Machiavellic way to uh, pull the string to be like, if you wish, the ultimate puppet master, like his, like his good friend Henry Kissinger or, or, or Brzezinski, uh, uh, where in, a, you know, earlier in the game. So that, that, that became his goal. So he started investing in so many different uh, news outlets and also because he, he, uh, he fancied himself to be a philanthropist, and, 
And uh, I, I'm calling him just like some of his colleagues, such as, uh, let's say, I have a few names, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, on the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and a bunch of others, as uh, evil do-gooders. Uh, what, what they do, I mean, the, the, the epitome of humanitarian imperialism. For example, George Soros' own human rights watch. Well, that seemed to be, you know, very nice. But again, because it's, a, it's an Orwellian construct, nothing means what it actually says. Okay? Uh, and this control that he has on the, on the media... Not only the um, the big media, which are corporations that he, he has influence with, for example, you know, most people uh, in the U.S. are not aware that uh, uh, NBC and MSNBC is owned by General Electric. Uh, they, they're not aware of that. Uh, so he started to diversify his, his portfolio, his mediatic portfolio, and an NGO's portfolio into a, a, a huge worldwide network. I mean, it's sort of like a spider building a web, but of, of a size that is just unprecedented. Like, for example, when George Soros, who fancy himself as a writer, and he does write, he, pub- he published in his own site, uh, uh, get his, his, his publication, his essay, uh, published in The Guardian. Now, The Guardian, this UK paper, an institution is considered to be, by many, to be a lefty-oriented paper, far from the truth. Uh, it's the same for Le Monde. Le Monde was uh, the paper of reference, sort of like, if you wish, the New York Times in the U.S. Uh, it started after World War II. And he is uh, one of the older through Huffington Post of Le Monde. So those, those publications peddle, they've been peddling, for example, uh, anti-Russian propaganda on a very, very steady basis. And it's working because the, 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 the public op- opinion buy into it. You know, uh, and, and you were mentioning, you know, the notion of color revolution. And... Uh, Let's say, for example, I, I, I met first and the method of, of Soros and his people in the middle of Occupy, okay? Occupy was, at first, a real movement, just like the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was a real movement when it was in Tunisia, and Occupy was real up until the tail end of, let's say, uh, December 2011. But Soros moved in, with organizations that he controls and finance, who are now behind the organization of the Purple Revolution, the new one, uh, MoveOn.org, Answer Coalition, Change.org, and also Black Lives Matter. Okay? He, he, he finance, he, he does microfinancing also of people online, people on social media that work for him, get you know, uh, whatever, 30 bucks an hour. He collects people. He, he, he chartered people working for him, chartered bus to take them to demonstration. So anyway, uh, uh, so he started in, in 1979. Then uh, he showed the, his colleague, it was kind of a gang, but not really a gang. Uh, in 1992, to be precise, uh, September 16, 1992, he crushed the Bank of England. He, he, he crushed one of the biggest banks in the world. He, he did a shirt on the Bank of, of England by dumping $10 billion British pounds, made about 1.8 in profit, all legal, and put millions of people, millions of people lost their house, their pension. So that's the type of, of person that the, the good philanthropist George Soros is, like a real lefty. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to the crashing of the pound. I want to talk more about that, but we got that 60 minute clip. We're going to just rewind a little bit and uh, roll this, um, roll this uh, George Soros uh, interview with 60 minutes uh, from 20 years ago. Go ahead. It was a, a very personal experience of evil. 
my understanding is, is that you went out with this protector of yours who swore that you were uh, his adopted godson. Yes, yes. Went out, in fact, and helped in the confiscation of property yes. from the Jews. That's right. Yes. I mean, that's, that sounds uh, like an experience that would send lots of people to the psychiatric couch for many, many years. Was it difficult? Uh, not, not, not at all. Not at all. It, uh, maybe as a child, you don't you don't see the connection, uh, uh, but it was it created no no problem at all. No feeling of guilt. No. For example, that uh, I'm Jewish, uh, and here I am watching these people go. I could just as easily be there. I should be there. None of that. Well, uh, of course, I, uh, I could be on the other side, or I could be the one from whom it, the thing is being taken away. Uh, um, but there was no sense that I shouldn't be there, because uh, that was... Uh, uh, well, actually, funny way, it's just like in markets, that if I weren't there, of course I wasn't doing it, but somebody else would, 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 would be taking it away anyhow. In other words, the, whether I was there or not, I was only a spectator, the property was being taken away. So the, I had no role in taking away that property. So I had no sense of guilt. Are you religious? No. Do you believe in God? Soros told us he believes God was created by man, not the other way around, which may be why he thinks he can smooth out the world's imperfections. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, <laughs> that, that last statement was quite telling, so I think this is an avowal. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. and, and of, course, of course, Patrick, this is radio, so, so people do not, people that, that haven't watched the, the clip, uh, will not have the pleasure to see the smile, the little smile on the face of George Soros. Uh, there's absolutely no sense of guilt. He's an, he's an, um, he's an amoral individual. Absolutely zero sense of guilt. And he, uh, as I was trying to, to, to explain my little story about the, the, the crash of the stock market in, 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 in England in 1992, he thought it was funny, but it, it kind of a kind of a like inside joke for his friend of Wall Street. But it was not funny at all because what it showed and the lesson that people should have learned is that he can take on, he can take down the economy of a country, of a major country that used to be an empire, like Great Britain. No, that was a warning. So Taking down a country like 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 that economically, uh, and he did that over and over again. He did that in Malaysia in 1997 because of some anti-Semitic remark that the ruler of Malaysia had made. And of course, you can see the the end of of George Soros and probably the ideals funneled through perhaps Hillary Clinton, his protege to to Barack Obama. And also one of his other protege, another creepy character, which is Nicolas Sarkozy, who happened to be also Hungarian. What a coincidence! Uh, to take down Gaddafi, you see, because that was they started to think. Soros started to think. Well, what about investing into revolution, bogus revolution with mercenaries? For goal of regime change, and of course that explains Libya, with with a major involvement of Sarkozy, the French president at the time, and Syria, and probably this is not extrapolating because they, there's more and more evidence, and actually I've been writing about that. Uh, I was writing about that about two or three years ago. The creation of ISIS. You see? So, so it's, it's, it's just, will we ever have fruit? Will there ever be a smoking gun of this? Probably not, but there might be. I mean, some of the, the revelation of, of, of the Podesta email uh, from WikiLeaks seems to indicate that. Now, 
he is not the only immoral uh, uh, character in the, in the bunch of the mega mega rich who have the intention. Uh, uh, it might not happen because of the election of, of of Donald Trump, but that was certainly the goal to to install this giant, you know, uh, the, this completely com- world with no border, this world order ruled by an elite of mega-rich, about two or three, maybe four or five thousand men and women, and protected by uh, private army of mercenaries. Now, we, we need to talk in that instance about the, the Saudis and the Qataris, okay, who, are the, who were the prime instigator of ISIS for purpose of regime change in uh, in Syria, of course. Uh, now, uh, those people are also, you know, extremely unsavory individuals. Uh, the the, uh, the Wahhabi religion, you know, strict obedience to Sharia law that they, they get the iman to, to preach all over the world, okay, uh, do not apply to them. When you go to, to Kuwait, when you go to, to Saudi Arabia, you can get booze, you can get alcohol. They're not supposed, Muslims are not supposed to be, to drink alcohol, especially Wahhabis. But they, they serve it to you in like teapots, you know. Uh, the, <laughs> the very same depraved individual, depraved individual, sheiks, and go to, to Beirut, Lebanon, to buy women in a very, very exclusive auction. They also own the, the Sahouds, own the, the Hotel Georges V in Paris on the Champs Elysees. They, they have a lot of di- diversified assets, if you wish, and they also invest in U.S. politics. Uh, they add uh, 25 million, to be precise, according to, to WikiLeaks. Uh, 25 million invested in their candidate and good friend Hillary Clinton. Good fan. So this is the type of people we are dealing with. Are they Muslim? No, they're not Muslim. Uh, they're only Muslim to, uh, to brainwash the population. But the, the rule, just like for Soros, in terms of this sort of um, sociopathic personality, do not apply to them. The problem that they have right now is that, well, they don't really have an army. You see, they... There's a joke about Qatar, for example, that it's 200 people and a TV station, which is, of course, Al Jazeera, and it's pretty close to the, the truth. So what do they do right now in the nasty war, proxy war with Iran in Yemen? Well, Eric Prince, the, the, the founder of Blackwater, is in charge to hire a South American mercenary. You find Colombian mercenary fighting on the payroll of the Sauds, fighting in Yemen. Absolutely. No, we have proof of that. We can verify that, Jobert. Uh, We had reports on the ground uh, from Yemen. In fact, uh, the IDs of uh, some of the mercenaries, Colombian, um, uh, Israeli, um, I mean, you name it, just go across the board. Oh, absolutely. Ukrainian, I mean, yeah. See, but the thing is, the thing is with, with ISIS, they did a little mistake. You know, they, they, they started the process, and, and the process was started, actually. They were reported because sometimes, even so Soros controlled pretty much all the media, sometimes there's a story that leaked and, and that it, they didn't want to leak, and one of them appeared in the New York Times, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, that sort of explained the role of the CIA, to to uh, to funnel a, a weapon uh, uh, from Jordan, they were actually based in Jordan and in Turkey to funnel uh, uh, the weapon system uh, to the uh, the so-called uh, uh, Free Syrian Army, which of course never existed, mm-hmm. and that's that that's the the pleasantry of it all, you know. But it's all about you see in that region, it's all about this sort of what I've called in the past an early alliance between Saudi Arabia and Israel. But it's, it's, it's of course, about against Iran. Now, Israel, you cannot say, 
uh, at least I won't, that they are directly involved in ISIS. They, they kind of let it happen, okay? But what their interests reside in weakening, because Syria used to be a, a conduit, if you wish, uh, uh, between Iran and Hezbollah in Lebanon. Okay, so the, the interest of Israel was to sort of weaken as much as possible Hezbollah. Okay, they lost because Hezbollah actually ended up, as you know, because you, you guys have been covering Syria probably better than anyone else, uh, uh, fighting and sort of winning despite, you know, the, the, the stupidity of, of the, the, the Western ally uh, against and thanks to the Russian against this army of mercenaries. So, there you go. You know. But, again, there's also an aspect, I'll tell you, that is, that is completely schizophrenic in terms of, of, the, of the U.S. foreign policy, especially. Like, let's say, for example, uh, let's talk about Turkey. Turkey is an ally of the U.S., part of NATO. Okay? Uh, uh, Turkey is one of the, Turkey's natural enemy are the Kurds, okay? Uh, there's a lot of Kurds within Turkey, and they, they've always wanted to have a Kurdistan. So the U.S., they don't really like to fight their own war. You know, they don't like to get killed much, and they don't like to have troops on the ground. So they came up with a very clever idea to use the Kurds to fight ISIS, which, of course, they were uh, uh, sort of financing, but, Nah, not really. They didn't want to admit it anyway. But this uh, <laughs> happened to, to be kind of a, a big faux pas for the Turk because it's like, it, it, on one hand, you have Washington that is helping the Kurds, and that they're supposed to be allied with, uh, with Turkey, of course. So, again, it's the, the, the schizophrenia of that is just mind-boggling. You know. so, so back to Soros, um, back to the, the Purple Revolution, and it is mind-boggling, by the way, um, and the mess, the mess of, uh, of Syria uh, is unraveling uh, and then trying to be patched back together every other week, and it's just a process that's getting messier and messier, um, and we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look closer into that later, but you know, regarding the Purple Revolution aspect, when H- Hillary Clinton came out and gave her, by the way, on election night, um, John, a lot of people don't realize, John Podesta came out and at, at like midnight in at the big, the Javid Center in, in New York that was hired out by the Clinton campaign and there was all the supporters, thousands were there, celebrities were there waiting for Hillary to give her, uh, you know, acceptance speech, her victory speech, and Podesta comes out that little demon, John Podesta, comes out and says, "Everybody, every vote counts. Let's count those votes." And and everyone's by that time she had lost the election, and and right. so and, and but where was Hillary Clinton? I was I was scared at that point. I thought, "Oh my God, they're going to throw the they're going to throw the election. It will wake up in the morning, and it'll be like Hillary won, even after you saw Trump had won all the states." So, you know, that scared a lot of people. No, no sign of Hillary. No sign of Hillary. And then she she appears in a purple lapel, a, a purple satin lapeled uh, pantsuit, and her husband wearing a purple tie. What is the significance of this color? Purple. Well. Is it the color it of re- is, resurrection? No, it's the color of the revolution to come. But the revolution, just like the orange revolution in Ukraine, would not succeed. Or the green revolution in 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 uh, in Iran a few years back. Or perhaps you see ISIS. They are black flags. Maybe yeah. the black is is another color revolution. Who knows? But to go back to the election, I did I did see uh, John Podesta, and he seemed very very combative for some reason, and, yeah. and sort of unhinged, just like all the all the people of what uh, what I, I I started calling in in 2015 the 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 two um, crime syndicate in the U.S., which are namely the Bush and the Clinton, and as a matter of fact, they work together. But the, the, what I want to say about the election of, of, of Trump, it was a complete anomaly. It, it was not to happen. Uh, 
And and I'll tell you the 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 proof of that is by the the character that used to run his campaign, and his name is Tony Podesta. Tony is the brother of John Podesta. Uh, uh, Trump was supposed to work to function as a repellent, as somebody so racist and 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 right wing and and so on and so on that Hillary would win easily. But guess what? Things changed. He's starting to believe, he's starting to make change in his campaign, and he's starting to believe in his, in what he could do. And he was right. You see, it's, I think, I, I'm starting to, I'm starting to think that what we had here, you know, uh, is some kind of accident. He, 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 he started from being a clown, uh, a star of reality show, but then the, the scripted reality show became reality. I mean, it is just bizarre. It's, uh, it's kind of absurd in a way, but that's a reality. And in a sense, what, what I talked about a few years back, uh, but I guess it was too early, it, it, it could be the start of, 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 it, it, it could be what I would call the catalyst of a paradigm shift. And, and let me explain. What I'm talking about is, okay, you have Brexit, okay? Uh, you have the, the, the election of Trump. All those things show that people globally are rejecting the type of globalization that would have be, be brought by Hillary Clinton of the TTP, the transatlantic equivalent, and all this. The globalization of George Soros and his friend from Saudi Arabia. The globalization of, of a few southern people uh, ruling the world uh, 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 like they are to, while all of us eat uh, a, a sandwich made of sand and slave away for them. You know, my colleague, you mentioned her, Dali Sheri, and, and, you know, she's Haitian-born, and she's, she's also, uh, you know, a remarkable scientist in her spare time, uh, has chosen to dedicate, of course, uh, what she does mainly to her island, because she explained it to me. She said, it is really a microcosm of what's going on, what's going on with globalization, what it's going to do to all of us. And she is absolutely right. And and for the Clinton, Haiti was some kind of training ground. See what I, exactly how much they could do to to kind of teach a lesson to the the the, the little republic of former slave that managed to beat uh, uh, not a small not a small feast Napoleon who was still a very mighty emperor at the time. So they decided to teach that small island of brave people a lesson, to make them suffer. That's what they did. And for this reason, and I think they actually, I think ultimately the Clinton will suffer, not only for that, but definitely for that. For this reason, you know, uh, it, the microcosm of Haiti is what was going to be down the line in the coming eight years because she would have been reelected the rest of the world. Well, there's two things. There's the resistance of people like Asia, Haitian, and there's also Russia, China, and Iran. Okay? Because bottom line, and I've, I've, I've written about that before the, the, the election, uh, if Hillary Clinton would have been elected, one can project, and this is not uh, some kind of conspiracy theory of anything. I know, I know the U.S. very well. I used to own a house in New Orleans. I know the South. I know both coasts, you know. Uh, they would have been, if she would have been elected, they could have been a civil warrior. Because the thing is, there might be a little purple revolution of souls, folks, uh, sipping lattes in Los Angeles and New York. But the people in Texas, the people in Nevada, the people in Louisiana, they have guns, and they would have used them, you see? <laughs> so 
one bullet, second bullet, much bigger one, World War Three, Because I actually put that link in the article that you republished. The little essay, again, of, uh, of, uh, of friend George Soros. The title was that Russia was a lot more dangerous for the, what more uh, existential threat to Europe than ISIS. You see, the goal was to regime change in Russia, take on Russia, his old enemy, you see, because people do not change. And his, his formative years, the fact that he had to leave Hungary to, to go to England, then the U.S., given this deep anti-Russian, you know, bent to and whatever that, whatever he does. And that's a, he shared that with uh, Zbigniew Brzezinski and, and Henry Kissinger. Absolutely. I think they, they both had a... Who's Polish. Yeah, especially, yes, Brzez, especially Brzezinski. Especially Brzezinski. Oh, Brzezinski, yeah, absolutely. So that's formed... But look, you know, yeah. Look, what, what empires never learn... They never learned that going to Afghanistan, going to the land of the Pashtuns specifically, is a very bad idea. Now, I've, I've mentioned that in a recent uh, commentary on, on Sputnik, a, a Russian radio station, and I'm going to say it again. If NATO, which I think, and I wish, and I think it's going to be the direction, but it's going to be depending on who's going to be in the cabinet, we'll know very soon. NATO is probably going to you know, because Trump has obviously the intention of a détente with Moscow, with with Vladimir Putin. Uh, uh, I believe they they did have already a couple of conversations on the phone. Uh, if NATO cannot prevail against a bunch of Pashtuns in Afghanistan, mainly having Kalashnikov, or are they going to beat Russia, China, and Iran? Or are they going to do it? I don't think so. Yeah, they can't. Not in a conventional war. It's 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 out of the question. Okay, but it's um, out of the question. It's out of the question. But but one of the big themes I've noticed as well with George Soros and the Open Society and uh, his efforts is one of the and and also I see Barack Obama was basically bad mouthing the 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 concept of nationalism, and I think so. The the globalist uh, those uh, you know hyper globalization uh, advocates like Hillary Clinton and others. They look at the nation state as this kind of outdated concept, and you know it's, it, it's something that has to just fall by the wayside to make way for uh, you know a, a bigger global confederate government. And so nationalism. So George Soros he attacked Brexit before the vote. He wrote a piece in the Guardian, like you mentioned, and it was an attack on Brexit. And he's obviously pro Clinton. And they blamed Brexit on racism and xenophobia. They made it all about this in the media. But in in reality, Brexit, the people who voted to leave the EU were reacting against uh, a super bureaucracy, a remote bureaucracy in Brussels, and that was taking away their feeling of, of, of national sovereignty and identity. That, to me, was the core issue. And I think with Donald Trump... This, this is the same with Trump, and they vilified all the Trump voters. And I want to play this one clip. This is, a, uh, this is the nationalism Brexit rebuttal. This is a former advisor to David Cameron uh, on Fox News. Um, and listen to his explanation of the, the Brexit-Trump effect. Um, go ahead and roll this clip real quick, and we'll, we'll discuss it. This is nationalism Brexit. So long. No, we'll to Brexit in a second, but I just want to make one observation. Uh, that is the version of Obama that, that I find most infuriating. Yeah. Where instead of talking like a political leader right. who actually wants to get things done, he's kind of observing events like a sort of snooty yes. anthropology professor Professor's. who's kind of analyzing the world instead yeah. of actually being the person who's been in charge for eight years and could have done something about the very problems that are driving this. And I think to, to now flip to the the Brexit aspect of this, I think that this argument that they're putting forward about nationalism is, is, is really bad because what they're doing is trying to deflect attention from their own policy failures. The reason that you have this uprising against the elite, the establishment, yeah. whatever you want to call it, is because the policies that have been followed, particularly the economic policies, mm -hmm. have left people reeling. 
from the impact of what they've done. And the fact that people are losing their jobs, their incomes are falling, that's what's driving it. Not some racist um, sense of nationalism. And I think that, but by describing it as that, they're trying to avoid responsibility for their own role yeah. in creating this problem. It's like elitist navel-gazing. He's sitting there and he's talking, and the, oh, and then the long pauses and the whole thing. It's like a class we all wish we had dropped. How many more <laughs> lectures do we have? People do not have the luxury of standing around and, you know, pontificating like this while he pauses. They have families to feed and bills to yes. pay and no idea how to do it. I find this so infuriating. And, and, and he has spent a lot of time in the days that have followed this election defending his own record. And in that same moment, he almost went on to suggest that Trump supporters might have some sort of buyer's, buyer's remorse uh, with this election and that they might end up pretty disappointed with his president. A lot of people yeah. have buyer's yeah. remorse after him. Well, the other <laughs> thing he said I, was he had some line about... Um, you know, we're, we're, we're handing over a country in, in good shape. There are no fires to put out. I think that was his phrase. Yeah. There are no fires. Mm -hmm. And you could tell what he was doing there. He was trying to compare it to his inheritance For sure. in terms of the financial right. crisis. And you know what that made me think is that actually the econom there is an economic crisis in America. Today. There is a fire to put out. There is a fire to put out. It's, it's so many millions of people who are struggling economically. It's just a crisis that is less visible to people in New York and Washington and, and Silicon Valley where I live because they're not affected by it. They're not the people suffering. Wouldn't you debate there's a cultural crisis going on in this country as well? Because we were talking about yesterday how I think a lot of cultural issues that the left have been obsessed with helped fuel middle America thinking, you don't care about me, you only care about you know X, Y, and Z issues that don't affect me at all whatsoever. So I think cultural issues having to do with immigration also have a lot to do yeah, with this. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay, so the, the, there's a lot said there, obviously, Joe Bear, but I, I took away something I, I, I noticed there. So the, there is an, the uprising, the real uprising was a democratic uprising and it happened at the ballot box. And, but the fake uprising is the, is the one that George Soros is trying to steer through moveon.org on the streets or in the college campuses. This is kind of a fake controlled color revolution. So, so they don't give the kids. They don't give the students anything. They're not going to give them any better uh, standard of living or any more rights. What they're giving them is the feeling of participation in this movement, like the, a fake Arab Spring or a fake right. color revolution. Right. This yeah, is the new reward. True. This is the new reward yeah, exactly. for the for the yeah for the uprising for the youth. Right. Yeah. That's that's the way I look yeah, at it. The the thing is, you know, uh, uh, I'll, I'll make I'll make a joke. That's not that's not actually very funny but the the the, the purple revolution they they have water pistols on the other hand the people in the <laughs> outland they have an m16 you see so they're not going to win i mean my bet is well uh between m16 and water pistol i'd rather have an m16 if i want to win something yeah. <laughs> that's a good point yeah no i mean those people have been exposed. You know, I mean, some of us, and I'm sure you, you, you're probably one of them, you, you know, we've been using the word prostitutes to, to describe the core of our colleagues, really. I mean, you take Ariana Huffington from the Huffington Post, you take the, all the pseudo, what I call tech left uh, publications such as TrueSat, Alternet, and so on and so on, because as a matter of fact, it would be easier to name the publication and the, the outlet that are not getting money from those shows than the one that are. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Alternet. Alternet. That gets money from Open Society Foundation. Um, it's so many of them. Media Matters. Um, I could name many they others. All they all do. Also, yeah. also Mother Jones. The nation, you know, they used to be quiet institutions back in the days, back in the days before Soros. Also, one need to mention another quiet institution, NTR News. Not only they get money from George Soros, they also get money from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. No, that's a whammy. You have to recognize it. You know, so how come those people report the news? Okay, and now what they pretend, and also they have social media, of course, the, the little, the little place of Zuckerberg, the 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 billionaire, thanks to the IPO of Goldman Sachs, is little fan of Goldman Sachs, and so on and so on. And now what they want to do, they want to censor what they call the fake news. But of course, the fake news is, as a matter of fact, 
Orwellianly enough, the real news. You see? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about that in the first hour. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, look, the, let me just read this headline to you. This is from... Uh, uh, Los in L.A. It's obviously it's a it's a, a very much a liberal um, bastion, uh, Los Angeles. But this is from L.A. Progressive. Just read the headline. This is the headline after the election. Why we must reason together through this state of emergency. So the the election result is a state of emergency for the American uh, fake progressive left, and uh, I call them the champagne socialites or the limousine liberals. Uh, and they have created such an ivory tower over the last eight years. Um, they really thought, I believe, that they were just um, invincible. That the world oh, had that, that they had subjugated the world to the to the altar of political correctness and identity politics and the science of dividing people up by gender, race, identity into voting blocks which I think is one of the most dehumanizing uh, enterprises uh, I've ever seen. It's, oh, it's disgusting how it's become in this country. I mean, they've got everyone but, subdivided by every single imaginable division. Uh, and You and know it just, what it is? Yeah. What, what, what it is, it's, it's, it's an operation. It's, it's psychop, really. And it, it's pseudo-intellectual psychop. Because those people are ultimately pseudo-intellectual, and uh, I I attack a lot of sacred crow in my in the in my piece about the the the, the minister of truth or my piece about source. I attack them because my experience, my own experience with Occupy and the way they hijack Occupy, uh, you know, along with source and for the benefit of source. And I have to name names, you know, his name has not to be named. You have Noam Chomsky, who supported Hillary Clinton. Okay, uh, 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 to me, Noam Chomsky, which I sort of respected about 25 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago, has lost absolutely all credibility. You have his good friend, Chris Ages, who called, you know, uh, Chomsky the Socrates of a time. You know, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, and, and who is a known plagiarist. He's a Socrates, are you, ser- are you serious? Yes, oh, I'm Socrates. serious. He, Socrates. He calls Noam Chomsky the Socrates of our time. And, well, you, you and, know what and happened to so- do you know what happened to Socrates at the end? Absolutely. I, yeah. I actually mentioned that in my article. <laughs> and you, are, you have also, nobody's full of very, very, very interesting character. Uh, he has been caught plagiarizing Hemingway presages, the same presages. And then you have the very colorful, uh, 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 you know, lefty, fake left from Canada, from the north, Naomi Klein, who wrote that, that great book that changed everything. Well, it doesn't change anything. It never did. And as a matter of fact, she's, she's another one that's a plagiarist. I'll, I'll explain why. I used to have a house in New Orleans. Okay, before uh, Katrina. Okay, uh, and in 2015, you know, at the time I was working in the film business. Uh, in 2015, that, that was kind of my trigger to 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 go back to my old love, which is you know press and journalism. Uh, and um, I used the term. I started using the term disaster capitalism at the time. Uh, no, back in 2005, I meant. And Sure enough, in 2009, she published a book with basically using that concept. You see? So those people, those people are fake intellectually, and they also fake it. I mean, in any way, shape, or form. So with an intelligentsia like that, what can you do? What can you do? You know? Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's this level of intolerance that I've seen. That I, I think this is one of the reasons why the Clinton uh, campaign collapsed and the, the the left collapsed is they they're really intolerant um, and the, it, but it's shrouded it's shrouded in this uh, fake version of righteous indignation and plastic uh, morality and moral outrage you know it's it's like the height of deception and hypocrisy and you know but. What what did we say? We said we said on this show we said the ones they made a big deal about Trump wasn't going to respect the election result, and I said 
I said, watch. The one who won't respect the election result if Trump wins is going to be the left. And sure enough, look at them. They're still out in the street marching and doing whatever they're that's doing, uh, you know, creating, wanting to, you know, uh, unreal. That's right. That's right. They are, they are, it's a left for hire. They, there's not really, unfortunately, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's, our publication, News Dirty Post, has been very long time to be considered to be the radical, radical, radical left. Okay? Uh, but I don't see any left. What I see are people that are, are a lot richer on, on what I call the left coast, which is the west coast and the east coast, a lot richer and have privilege uh, than people in the outland, than people, let's say, in Detroit, Michigan. Well, that's, that's a nice little uh, uh, consequences of disaster capitalism as well. Nice job, Bill Clinton. Nice job, NAFTA. You know, complete destroy. The Rust Belt, I mean, what elected, what elected Trump is a reaction against that, a reaction against globalization. It's not racism. That is bogus. Okay? Uh, uh, it, it, it's it's not that it's let's hope and and we'll know soon we'll know by his pick as 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 secretary of state mainly but also at defense and I hope you know I've said it I hope that Trump is a newcomer okay but I hope he looks into U.S. history to to kind of take some sort of model as far as policy. Let's say, for example, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was rather a great president, considering that he, you know, he got the boot because of Watergate. He managed to get the U.S. out of Vietnam in 1975 and do a detente with China, though that's quite a bit of accomplishment, okay? Uh, another one, which is probably even more important, which is uh, uh, Eisenhower, who back in the late uh, 50s was denouncing the rise of the uh, military-industrial complex. Now, uh, what we have here, what we have here in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, and, and, and that's also in Russia and China, by the way, but it's, it's by reaction. We have a world economy. Okay, we have a world economy. We have an economy that's geared towards weapon manufacturing. And of course, if you manufacture a weapon, you have to use them. Okay, that's the caveat. So that's exactly. really a problem. So if if Trump is serious about making America great again, he should reflect. Okay, I'm, uh, you know, I have no business advising or, or anything. That's that's what I think he should do. When was America great? Okay. What do I want to do? And Trump is a builder. You know, he, he builds real estate. He's a builder. And he said that in a campaign, and I think he's sincere. What he wants to do, he wants to rebuild an infrastructure that's falling apart. Uh, uh, that's what he wants to do. And what they need to do, the, the, the team that he has with Steve Bannon, Rudy Giuliani, uh, 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 you know, Newt Gingrich, and hopefully somebody like Ron Paul or somebody like that at, at state, is to rethink the Monroe Doctrine, to rethink U.S. hegemony, and to, to, to sort of scale back and say, to rethink the neocons approach, to rethink we are, we are not going to be the master of the world. We are not going to be the master of the, of the universe. Uh, 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 this is a new situation here. So either we're going to have two blocks, the West, you know, uh, against Russia and China, and sort of go back into some sort of Cold War balance, fine. It would be better than what we have now. Are we going to be a lot more intelligent? I'm saying as a, as a species, and start thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if we if we stop spending all those resources into into making weapon system and try to ease up conflict uh, by talking diplomatically? Uh, wouldn't that be a novel concept to do that, or at least try? Now, uh, 
time will tell, and it's going to tell shortly because those interests are, are, are very, very strong. And, and again, you know, the U.S. economy is a world economy. Uh, and, and, you know, France, uh, which is my country, uh, uh, is also uh, uh, manufacture a lot of weapon systems. But you take Europe, for example. Well, Europe has become, has already become a, a vassal of, of, of the United States. And I find that completely embarrassing as a French person. So perhaps, you know, the, the Trump-Brexit thing will, will boost uh, 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 gaullist personality, the personality that, that kicked the, the, the American out of France. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of somebody like Dominique de Villepin, for example, people like that. It might boost people like that politically. Who knows? I certainly hope so. Well, certainly, I, I just saw an interview this morning with one of the most despicable characters I can imagine. His name's Fareed Zakaria, but he had Henry Kissinger on, another colorful individual. <clears throat> uh, he had Henry Kissinger on. Henry Kissinger is about 94. And he asked Kissinger yeah. about, about Trump's foreign policy. And Kissinger said this morning on live TV, I, 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 my jaw nearly dropped to the floor. Kissinger said something I thought I would never heard. He said, perhaps uh, America needs to think about um, having it influence in the world without having to uh, be so assertive, uh, especially against um, other formidable countries like Russia. And so he's basically, oh, yeah. well, he just said, he just said that maybe we have to pull back uh, from the way we're doing uh, before. And so he, oh, that's a yeah. signal, that's a signal from the Council on Foreign Relations to everybody saying there's going to be a shift, right? Well, the shift is there because uh, they're afraid, you see. But you have to, you have to see the thing is Henry Kissinger should not be invited uh, uh, on on network, he should not be invited to promote his book on NPR. He, Henry Kissinger is a war criminal. He, yeah, he was a war criminal <laughs> in Chile. He was a war criminal in Vietnam. He, Absolutely, he, he, the, the the man that directed the the, the, the administration to bomb the the, the Ho Chi Minh Trail was Henry Kissinger. Yeah, yeah, the oh, bombing Henry of Cambodia. Kissinger, Yes, yes, the Ho Chi Minh Trail, uh, the, the, the border of, uh, of Vietnam, Cambodia, and Laos. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so why, why should anybody listen, even if he's saying that now, because he's backpedaling, he, he doesn't want to look like a fool. <laughs> why should anybody listen to Henry Kissinger, to Brzezinski, to any of those, and, and Soros? Why should anybody listen? They've been wrong all along. Uh, and they have blood on their Yeah, the only thing the only thing you Soros know, has been right about is is his is his bank account. Okay, so th this is what he is. He's he even says Gilbert, uh, you know, my job is to make money. That's literally what he says. My, you know, our job is to make money. He's right. been wrong about everything else. Everything else yeah, has been well, total co failure. I'll tell you, he's been wrong on one thing recently, and it's to put all the all the stack of money he put on Hillary Clinton. That was a bad bet, and it was probably around fifty million. That's yeah. that's not much money for Soros, but it's still a bad bet, you see. So mm. hopefully, you you see, I I um you know I take a lot of picture of homeless people, uh, because there's a lot of homeless people in this country, and I'm I'm quite well known for my homeless people for a while. This is what I would love to see within about two years. I would love to see George Soros laying on, on a street bench, <laughs> living out of a shopping cart, living out of a shopping cart, and just snap a picture of them and, and give them like a can of maybe dog food. That would be, to me, that would be a dream for all the misery that he has caused on, on, on humankind everywhere. That would be a dream. That would be a lesson. You know, it would be poetic uh, justice as well. I, listen, I can't think of a more poetic note to end this segment on, Gilbert. But uh, that, that image in people's heads will, will put smiles on many people's faces, and, uh, and it'll give them something to smile about. It's a great image, Gilbert. <laughs> 
So we're gonna, but um, we're running out for this segment. But you know, look, we're gonna have to hopefully speak again. No doubt, um, we'll have conversations too offline. Um, I really appreciate your time, Gilbert, and your work and the dedication sure. of you and Daddy Sherry uh, at News Junkie sure. Post to you know keeping it real. We really appreciate that too. Um, and we've you know, got a link. What, what, yeah, go ahead. What what. What I can guarantee to your, your listeners is that we, we at Jewish Bankie Post do not get a dime from George Soros, needless to, to say. So we don't really care about telling the truth, or George Soros or anyone else for that matter. We are, we, we small, we limber, we are worldwide, we have, we have people writing for us from India, Tur- Turkey, different places in the world. They, they're all the same. We value uh, uh, independent-minded people and great writer, people that have a perspective. And what we value the most, and 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 Daddy actually coined that that expression among among the bunch of other ones. We value. We we don't do colonialism of the mind, meaning that we like people to write about their own culture. We like Indian to write about India. We like Asian like Daddy to write about India. I used. I used to write about AT. I don't anymore. Because it's, I shouldn't speak on behalf of Asians. I can speak on behalf of French people. I can speak on behalf of Americans because I, I have first experience in those countries. But I, you, you see what I'm saying? The, you know, the, the colonialism of the mind notion, well, we don't do that at New at, at Post because there's positive aspect about about globalization. If we could have a globalization of of the mind, no, that would be a wonderful idea. You see. Yeah, that's. I agree with you, uh, th- and I've said that before. I said, you know, we are in a globalized information world, but you know, the economic side isn't so good. Um, but the other side is there's a lot of positive aspects to that concept, and that's definitely something that that we want to promote as well. But um, thank you very much. For joining us this week, Joe Bear, really appreciate it, and uh, hope you take care in your travels. Uh, it was my pleasure, Patrick. I mean, it's 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 quiet to be to be to be on your show, and uh, you know, uh, if if people want to check out the work, you know, they they should definitely uh, uh, get get what what is the reference book on on AET. It's just a superb. Uh, a book. It's called "We Have We Have Dare to Be Free," and it, it's from my partner, Lucia Depos Nadisheri. And of course, they can read my book, uh, which is uh, is called "The Parallel Empire." Uh, hopefully, soon to be obsolete. We'll see. Yeah, let's hope. I like that attitude. I like that attitude. Uh, Orwellian Empire by Gilbert Mercier. Check it out at News Junkie Post by News Junkie Post Press. And, they, uh, w- they, 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 they both available on on Amazon. And 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 uh, because well, I do have a sense of humor, even though sometimes I seem to be a very very serious guy. Uh, my book is for the the price in the U.S. of nineteen dollars and eighty four cents. <laughs> Very good. I like that. <laughs> $19.84. Listen, take care. Um, that's Gilbert Mercier. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, News Junkie Post co-editor. We'll be back after these messages. Our next guest, Jay Dyer, waiting in the wings. And we're going to break into that subject of fake news in a way that probably hasn't been broken into yet. So stick around for that. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We'll be right back. It's time. Since 2009, 21st Century Wire has been a trusted source of alternative news with opinion, analysis, investigative reports, and features covering stories from North America to Europe to the Middle East and globally. In the last two years, we've grown dramatically. This year, we're expanding our programming and our reporting and adding to our team of dedicated contributors. But we need your help. There is a way you can support us. Go to 21wire.tv and click on 21wire membership to find out more about how you can help support our platform by subscribing and becoming a member. In return, we promise to keep it independent and keep it real. But that's not all. By subscribing to 21wire.tv, 
members will get access to more premium content, like virtual private screenings of new documentaries and short films, and get inside access to members' podcasts, like On the QT with Patrick Henningsen. And also, you can see our new morning commute show, Drive by Wire with Sean Helton, as well as our new geopolitical current affairs series, Insight, shot in high definition. By becoming a member, you're also helping to support the Sunday Wire radio show, as well as all our great reporting at 21stCenturyWire.com. There's more. Members will also gain access to our fortnightly Members Situation Report newsletter, as well as special discounts on all 21 Wire merchandise up at our online store, Shop 21. Subscribe and become a member at 21wire.tv.